Welcome to In Scripture Podcast. We're so glad to have you listen with us while we dive into Scripture and dissect God's Word verse by verse. Listen with us and don't forget to leave us questions and feedback as you journey with us through His Word. It's good to be back, guys. How's everyone doing? Good. You say it like we've Good. been gone for years. Every single it, time. I don't know. Every time I'm just happy to be back. It, it feels like it's been too long, but it doesn't feel long at all. And last last week we re- realized we were at two years already, which is like time has just flown by. Um, but today we have a very special episode for two reasons. For one, start a new book. We're starting a new book. Yay. And it's a good one. It's, a it's one that we have been wanting to do for so long. And we haven't. I remember like my first episode we were talking because we the first series I did with you guys was Ruth. And I remember as we were doing that book, we we're like, yeah, we got to do this one too, of course. And it's been two years <laughs> for us to get to it. So we are a super excited. <laughs> Who talks like that? <laughs> what? And then I like, do this too, of course. <laughs> Who talks like that? <laughs> we do. <laughs> Ahasuerus. <laughs> <laughs> but secondly, my favorite part is when we have someone new join us. Because, a listener too. Because they add a different perspective to He's something that new. we do on a weekly basis. For the most part, someone new comes in here and throws a wrench into the whole system and just makes it that much better. Oh, so I want you to introduce yourself right now. Tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? Where are you from? Just Jacob. everything. Yeah. My name is Jacob Sebus. I'm from Kannapolis. Um, I am a kids uh, ministry director at a church in Kannapolis, Charity Baptist Church. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. I am a fan of the podcast, by the way. I do listen. I'm a faithful listener. I've not listened to the most last, most recent episode yet, but I'm going to get to it. So yeah, glad to be here. We're, we're really excited to have yeah. you. Man. Yeah. If you can't tell by our faces. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we come off a little tired. Hey, tell me about your kids ministry. So um, how long you been doing it? Yeah, I've been doing kids ministry full time for three years now. So I started back in July of 2019 um, and I love it so much. I feel called to kids ministry. I think some people can see either kids ministry or student ministry as like a stepping stone to the next thing, but I really love what I do and I feel called to uh, teach. What's your favorite age? Favorite age, I love uh, first through third graders. Elementary, right there in that age, they're just fun. They're brutally honest. Through nine, yeah, like brutally honest. They're fun to be around. They'll tell you the truth. They're just a. They're they're a lot of fun. I I love that. Teenagers tell you the truth too, but it's not as fun. It's it's mean. Yeah, (laughs) it hurts. We actually all have a part. We had a part in all in kids ministry at one point. I know Serge did. Um, Serge and I did, well, Serge, Mark and I did camps, kids camps together. So I, I had part, Awana. yeah, Serge had did Sunday school. So we are very, very, very familiar with children's ministry. Oh yeah. And how uh, awesome it is. It's fun. Every single week is like, you just have to go with the flow in kids ministry. It could be amazing or it could be a, like a straight disaster as far as getting everybody to listen, but that's just the joy of it. Would man. you say you're good at breaking down God's word into a fourth grader language? I would hope so. I really, I really try to. I, I try to have a good balance of uh, obviously being really biblical and teaching the truth, but also making it um, interesting and able for them to understand. So because you don't say soteriology or eschatology. No, <laughs> I definitely don't. <laughs> keep the ologies. Yeah, I keep the ologies away, tucked away for <laughs> different conversations. But no, I try to, man. Lord willing, that's the case. But I, I definitely am passionate about it. So I want to share the gospel and every every story we learn. So I feel like a big issue that a lot of believers have, including 
I mean, I'll, I'll including myself at times, especially now, like I, I just joined a new church. A lot of times what we struggle to do is find a way for God to use us. You know, what are we called to do? How do we even know what this quote unquote calling is? How are we supposed to know that, hey, there's this huge church that has so much to do. Even even the smallest churches have a lot to do because there's a lot that goes into taking care of a congregation, whether it's taking care of the kids, the elders, the church building itself, everything. So how, how would you explain what led you to this calling? How did you realize this is what God wants me to do? How'd you find, would you just wake up one day and realize, you know what? I know what God wants me to do now. <laughs> That's a great question, man. He listened to his wife. <laughs> <laughs> she has great wisdom. Yeah, man. I knew I've, I, I've felt called to ministry for a long time, but honestly, in my high school years, I was kind of running from it. Funny enough, I, in high school, I had the opportunity to intern at my church and I wanted to do it, but I was like, as long as I don't have to speak on a stage or ever speak in front of somebody, I was so nervous. And so I kind of ran from, I think what God was calling me to in ministry. Um, but he worked on my heart and now, now I preach at my church every once in a while. So it's <laughs> kind of crazy how that works and how he changes that. But man, I think, you know, there's a desire there. He, he placed a desire in me to do that. And how did I know kids ministry? I've always served in our kids ministry at church. So I was always passionate about next generation ministry, even students as well. That's where I primarily um, interned with, but it really just was kind of in a sense, a calling, but also practical. The job opportunity opened up and Lord willing, uh, or thankfully the Lord opened it up where I was offered the job and it was kind of like a, man, I'm already serving here and I would love to take this job and do, you know, serve in a way that I've already been serving, but even more so and try to try to serve the kids in that way. So it was kind of just very practical in the sense of the job opened up, but also I was already passionate about it beforehand. Mm. And uh, it was just a really cool, really cool thing. So it's a little bit of a mix between like, from a spiritual aspect, you, you both need to understand that this is something God wants you to do, but it's also there's a practical aspect to it where you still have to actually just do something. Absolutely. You know, cause it, you can have all the desires you want, but if you're not willing to do anything, then you're kind of, you're, it's a kind of a waste of desire, but it's also could be the opposite. It could be that you have all the practical push to be able to get something done. But if God doesn't have you necessarily aligned with that ministry, it also doesn't really work. It has to be a little bit of a, a little bit of both. Absolutely. A little bit of both, man. And I think you can over, maybe overthink it and then you don't do anything at all. And then you can maybe jump into the wrong place and you're like, oh man, but for the most part, I just want to put my yes on the table mm -hmm. and serve where God's called me to. And I think in that there's been a lot of joy. And so I definitely think it's that balance of thinking through it, but also just the practical that it, you know. Last question for you. Yeah. I know we're kind of interrogating you here, but I love it. just no, want to get fine. to know you. Also for the listeners, I don't know who this guy is either. So I'm actually kind of learning here too. <laughs> so we might as well get to know each other. But another question, and this is a little bit more broad and you don't have to go super in depth with this, but as our, as our regular listeners know, we love to emphasize God's word as the ultimate authority in our life. And, and it's something that we like to model our lives after structure our lives after whether we're talking about how we raise our kids, how we live our lives with our, with our wives, everything we do, we try to focus it all through scripture. And that's, that's why we started this podcast to begin with. Can you just share in your life? How has God's word impacted you? How has it helped you understand your, your decisions in your life? Again, that's a very broad question, but just in, in a small way, how has focusing your life on his word helped you? Dude, that's a great question. I think if scripture is our final authority and if it's what we base our life on, if it's God's word to us, then it should be our highest priority. And it should be the thing we go to for all of our answers. Um, just a honesty here, like 
for a lot of my teenage years, even being a professing, a professing Christian, um, I wasn't in the word like I should be. And I would notice pockets of maybe I would spend time in the word, but then there's many times where I didn't. And you notice the, the difficulty there is how am I trying to walk with, with uh, Jesus in this relationship, but not even in his word? How can I profess to know somebody, but not know what he's told me mm-hmm. and how he wants me to live? And so, man, God's word has been so key to that. It is the final authority in my life. And I want to live by the book. And there's a difference between knowing the scriptures and submitting to the scriptures. You know, you can know the scriptures in your head, you can hear it at church, but there's a difference between diving in yourself and submitting to it and making it your, your ultimate authority in your life, man. Like that's God's word. He rules my life, not me. And so it has been so key and I love it. Spending time in the word daily is such an important part of my walk with Christ. And I'm so thankful for it. And we have amazing Bible translations, amazing tools to help us study. So there's no excuse for us not to. It's a matter of, man, let's be faithful, hop into the word and let it transform our hearts and our minds and uh, transform the way we live. So I love Love it. it. Love it, man. I love how how passionate you are about God's word. That's exactly what, that's what we're doing here. And that's what we need here. That's what that's what this world needs right now. That's we see, we see the darkness all around us. We see how messed up things are out there. And if people realized how, how simple the answer is, it's not easy. It's not easy being a believer, but it's so simple. It's, mm. it's right there for everyone to grab. And we just choose to ignore it, you know? And oftentimes that comes from people who were raised as so-called Christians, you know, people who know where the answer is and we choose to ignore it sometimes, even though it's, it's right there for us, you know? So I'm super excited to get into the word because as, as this is why we're here to actually dive into God's word, I'm super excited to start this new book. Serge, can you kind of usher us into this new series that we're going to be starting? Esther. Let's go. (laughs) Mark has been on fire this whole week. He's messaging us on, on Wednesday. Guys, I'm so excited for tonight. We're like, what's tonight? <laughs> Dude, I thought get it was Thursday Thursdays. the entire day. <laughs> Amazing. I'm glad you're excited. We're like, Mark, you can be excited tomorrow, <laughs> not today. That's good. No, we're starting Esther today. So it's another story uh, book. It's one of the longer ones that we've done. Uh, it's 10 chapters, although the 10th one's only like five verses. But um, so it's a lot of story. The interesting how Esther, the book of Esther stands out from the rest of Bible stories is the fact that one, God's name is never mentioned. There is no direct interaction from God himself. There's no prophets. There's no miracles. Uh, there's no voice of God. There's no angels. There's no not, nothing miraculous type. Mm-hmm. Uh, no visuals, no nothing. No God said. No, it's literally just a random story. It's just really a story between four main characters. The king, his uh, main right-hand man, uh, Mordecai and Esther. And then secondary is the Jews versus the Persians. However, very important still, even though um, even though this is just a story, uh, still going to, along with God's plan and God's covenants, it's getting fulfilled and, and moves forward. I think this is, a, this is still a vital yeah. part of God's covenant, right? With David and with um, even going back to Abraham, the lineage he promised is still valid, yeah. even through this story. So the, uh, the main, I guess, kind of topic of this book is God's providence, mm. to, yeah. uh, especially to keep his uh, chosen nation, Israel, safe, no matter what circumstances come upon them. And the fact is that f- we see that they're being persecuted here. We really don't see any indication that this was because of their sin. Obviously, they're in exile because of sin, 
but this specific event doesn't seem to be centered around sin like mm-hmm. normally we see with their historical circles of sinning. Um, but it could be just one moment within that long period of exile that God's just constantly judging them. But even during that time, we see that God's still keeping his promises. He's still faithful, even though we are faithless sometimes. And He, um, God's providence is really the main story here. Um, so just a little historical background. Uh, no one exactly knows who wrote the book of Esther. There's no immediate uh, author here that identifies himself or any really historical background. Some people think it's Mordecai. That's probably the best guess, but really no one exactly knows. Um, and at time where this is taking place, uh, roughly about 480 BC, uh, supposedly. So this is during the reign of the Persians. The Persians conquered the Babylonians, which conquered the Israelites and sent them into exile. So this is roughly about almost to that point where we hear about the 400 years of silence from God, mm-hmm. um, and which then stems into the New Testament. So uh, this is like one of those more closer towards the end of the Old Testament stories. Although technically it's like, if you're looking at the books of the Bible, it's like in the f- first half of the Old Testament. Yeah, it's placed very yeah. weird. Very weird. Would you say this is at a point where the Jewish nation is at its weakest and most spread out? Um, I can't say that. Yeah. I can't wholeheartedly say that. I'm just thinking thinking out loud in my head. I would say they were probably at their weakest when they got exiled mm-hmm. spiritually because they were in just literally complete rejection of God, even though Jeremiah was constantly telling them to turn back. Um, so I can't say that this is their weakest, nor can I say that this is their strongest. But um, So let's, um, I guess, dive in. Um, Alex, you volunteered to read, so... Or no, wait, who's reading first, Jacob? I think I'm doing verses one okay. through, tw- is it 12 or 13? You can do whatever verses you want, man. I'll do one through 12. That's cool. Cause I'm in yeah. mind. It has a, I know you were very excited to pronounce some of these names. Yeah. <laughs> Forgive me if I pronounce these wrong, but anyways, let's start verse one. <clears throat> these events took place during the days of Ahasuerus who ruled 127 provinces from India to Kush. In those days, King Ahasuerus reigned from his royal throne in the fortress at Susa. He held a feast in the third year of his reign for all his officials and staff, the army of Persia and Medea, the nobles and the officials from the provinces. He displayed the glorious wealth of his kingdom and the magnificent splendor of his greatness for a total of 180 days. At the end of this time, the king held a week-long banquet in the garden courtyard of the royal palace for all the people from the greatest to the least who were present in the fortress of Susa. White and blue linen hangings were fastened with fine white and purple linen cords to silver rods on marble columns. Gold and silver couches were arranged on a mosaic pavement of red feldspar marble, mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in an array of gold goblets, each with a different design. Royal wine flowed freely according to the king's bounty. The drinking was according to royal decree. There are no restrictions. The king had ordered every wine steward in his household to serve whatever each person wanted. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women of King Ahasuerus's palace. On the seventh day, when the king was feeling good from the wine, Ahasuerus commanded Mahuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass the seven eunuchs who personally served him to bring Queen Vashti before him with her royal crown. 
He wanted to show off her beauty to the people and the officials because she was very beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command that was delivered by his eunuchs. The king became furious and his anger burned within him. I'll continue in verse 13 to the end. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for it was the custom of the king thus to speak before all who knew the law and justice and were close to him. Karshina, Shithar, Admatha, Tarshish, Mers, Mersina, and Memukan, the seven princes of Persia and Medea, Medea, not Media, right? Medea, (laughs) who had access to the king's presence, who sat in the first place in the kingdom. According to the law, what is it to be done with Queen Vashti? Because she did not do the declaration of King Ahasuerus, delivered by the hand and of the eunuchs. Then in the presence of the king and the princes of Memukan said, Queen Vashti hath, has committed iniquity against the only king, but also against all the princes and all the peoples who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the word about the queen will get out to the woman, causing them to despise their husband in their eyes by saying, King Ahasuerus said to the queen Vashti to be brought into the presence, but she did not come. This day, the ladies of Persia and Medea, who have heard of the word about the queen, will speak in the same way to all the king princes, and there will be plenty of spite and indignation. If it seems good to the king, let a royal word go forth him, and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Medea, so that it cannot be repealed, that Vashti may no longer come into the presence of King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. And the king's sentence which he will make will be heard throughout all the kingdom, for it is vast, and all women will give their respect to their husbands, great and small. And this word was good in the eyes of the king and the princes, and the king according to the word of Memucan. And he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province according to the script, to every people according to their tongue, that every man should be the ruler of his own house, that one who speaks in the tongue of his own people. Thank you. Sounds like a lot of drama in this first chapter. Ahasuerus. <laughs> yeah. When you say it a couple times, it... Look, no of... judgment for me, guys. You guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is very beginning to be very interesting because um, when you read the Old Testament, there's a lot going on where you run into certain keywords that you often hear all the time. So you'll hear either God said or prophet said, or uh, sacrifices, or uh, all these kind of keywords where you expect to happen in the Old Testament. And it's very interesting because when you read chapter one, you already start sensing, just like we mentioned earlier, the absence of a lot of these keywords. And because really all you're reading about is Persian kings. And and now these these names, even these names are a little bit different than what we're used to. I know a lot of, you know, Jewish names are difficult to say, but these names are a little different. And so I think right away, uh, there's a lot of differences, a lot of new keywords and a lot of new actions going on. But um, I think to before we talk about Queen Vashti's refusal and we can kind of talk about this feast that was going on. Um, what did you guys have for some of the notes on this feast? Other than it was very swanky. <laughs> it was very long. I don't know if I can party that hard. <laughs> Yeah, so... Um, I don't think he partied... Um, 
Well, let me rephrase. Let me use a biblical term. I don't think he feasted <laughs> <laughs> for 180 straight days. I think it was probably broken up because, I mean, think about 180, that's half a year. That's mm-hmm. six months that you're feasting. And for him, for them to feast every single day, um, I think it was probably broken up through a period of time and just collectively the days that they actually feasted was probably 180 days. Or just in general, it was like six months of like celebration or something, you know, maybe yeah, not necessarily. I'm sure they still had duties to perform mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so, but it was obviously the king was very happy. He was very proud of his accomplishments, right? Because that's why the feast is there, right? He said that um, he sat on his royal throne. In the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and the servants. Um, and he showed all the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. So this feast was really all about him. Uh, pretty, really much just showing off. As the kids would say, he is flexing on everybody. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. He's showing off his wealth, everything he's got. And not only that, he is drunk and happily drunk and drinking it up. Yeah, and talk about like <clears throat> decor, gold, pearls, marble, fine linens. Like he's living it up. Um, it's, a, it's a very fancy party feast. <laughs> We see that um, in verse 2, no, maybe, yeah, verse 2 and 3, it talks about that he made a feast for all his officials and servants, and it says, the powers of Persia and and Medea, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. Um, So a lot of people showed up to this. Um, Mm -hmm. Like like you guys said earlier, this this wasn't anything small by any means. And this feast, although it lasted 180 days, we do read that there was technically kind of uh, a secondary, like a part two, and uh, during this last, the last week or the week after these 180 days, and this is where everything kind of starts to off unfold is during this last week of feasting or the last these seven days, because he says that he became very merry with wine, and he commanded his eunuchs. Uh, to go get Green Vashti and to show her off her beauty. Now, there's a lot of speculation or a lot of debate exactly what that means, but um, we see that she said no. What do you guys think about that? Why Why would she say no? Maybe she understood the intent was not pure. Mm-hmm. Like there, there wasn't really anything good that could have came of that. But it's just obviously the big deal is the fact that she even said no. Like that's that's the thing that is being emphasized here, and that's what's kind of emphasized in the second half of this chapter that the audacity that she would have this king who just spent you know this is the last couple of days of the feast, but he's just spent 170 days or whatever just completely like wallowing in his glory and and just the whole all these people who came to visit him. I'm sure part of the requirements was to bring gifts to him and just honor his name for how amazing he has been, how great he's been for the kingdom, for the, for the people, for everyone. And the fact that at the end of this, the tail end of this celebration, she says no to him for something that, I mean, doesn't seem like a huge request, I guess. I mean, again, we don't know the full extent of what he was trying to get her to do or, or what, what was going on, but like, of all things, like, hey, just bring her to me. And she says no. Well, I've read um, different interpretations from it. And it's believed that the reason why she's no, no, not this is not 100%, it's just mm-hmm. what's mostly accepted is the fact that because he was so drunk, 
um, he wasn't really thinking right. And the intent of showing off her beauty was her natural beauty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's why she wanted not want to do that, to reveal herself like that in, in that way. And that's why she would say no. Now, that's what's most commonly accepted from what yeah. I've, the research I've done. It would yeah. make sense, though. And then you see, too, just I'm sure, obviously, the whole emphasis of his rejection and how he would feel when he's rejected that way. And that leads to all what happens later on. But just the king, you know, who's going to say no to me? And you're going to reject me and tell me no. And that's where it all goes well, down. It seems like he wasn't really bothered by it. It was more of his eunuchs that were bothered by it mm-hmm. than he was. Because they're the ones that talked him into saying, look what kind of example she's, she's showing to, you know, all of your uh, other women at home if word gets out, if word gets out, right? Because this is obviously in the palace that they're partying. They're not partying out in the streets. It it does say though in in verse 12, um, just to kind of go back to what Jacob said, that it says, therefore the king was furious and his anger burned within him. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I missed that part. And I wonder too if that was also because he's partly intoxicated too, which I'm sure he would be mad anyways, but just Mm -hmm. the, you know, lapse of judgment here. It's just a kind of a, a recipe for disaster with everything going on. Yeah. And it's very, it's, it's also all kind of demeaning in a way because what's he really showing off? Is it to benefit him or her? Obviously, he's not in any way trying to have her be in the benefit. He's more still of, you know, showing off what he's got. And it's, it's I think it's, you know, obviously, it's like as if it's his property, you know, kind of like his he owns it just like the rest of his stuff. And so I think that kind of the intention was there. And I, you kind of even sense that when you're reading it. Um, but like Serge said, we scripture exactly doesn't tell us why she refused. It just says she refused. And so we can only yeah. speculate. I mean, historic, looking back at history, a lot of people or kings, emperors, whoever, that would throw large parties like this as one, either to make friends or to... Uh, show how powerful and mighty they are, right? To the, the how much control they have, and the fact that they can have a feast for so long, kind of talks about the the wealth and the riches of their nation. That you know, people should look up to him, and all these princes and all these eunuchs and officials are kind of there. Um, and it could be a part of the fact that he's obviously flexing, right? But also kind of to establish his um, kind of his position. Because this is only during his third year, so he's still very fresh as a mm-hmm. king. Uh, he's only, you know, we don't know how old he is, but this is very early on in his in his reign. So it could be that. Just looking at other historical um, thing, uh, people in power that would do things like this. It's usually for those kinds of reasons. Um, and then when you have your own wife, right? When we were saying he's got control over 127 provinces from. Uh, all the way out to India, from Ethiopia to India. I mean, that's a that's a large, that's pretty much almost the Roman Empire right there. It's huge. It's huge. And so when you have so much control and then you can't even control your own life, that's kind of like a slap in the face at the mm-hmm. same time. So there was definitely that peer pressure to make sure you uh, that he was trying to uphold his authority. And of course, his buddies here being probably just as drunk as he is only talking him in, into doing, I don't know if we would call that unwise to what he did with his queen or not, but, you know. Well, and again, this is a time period where, I mean, thank God that we live 
in the time that we do in the country that we do where you know believe it or not women are respected here and there is equality between men and women but this is a time where disrespecting a king like that dishonoring him like that is very easily that'll end in your death like and it's not even there's there is no hesitation in that fact like it, it's just it is what it is the king is basically god in these days especially someone as powerful as this guy so the 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 magnitude of what she did here for sure i understand why they all freaked out and panicked because like you said on top of that surge the fact that she said no to the king the fact that she refused his his uh command if you if the people were to find out about that if the people were to find out that it's okay that that is something that can be done or could be done that's that's a very big deal in this day and age where i'm sure they were thinking themselves at all times how do we preserve our power here because that, this is the kind of time where anybody can come in and just reconquer you and they will not spare your life so if you're powerful if you're rich you try your best to stay that way and how do you how do for the most part how do these people stay that way by empowering the people or not by empowering by by taking over these random people by taking over poor people and forcing them to act a certain way and follow a certain law whether they like it or not and so an act of rebellion is the best way to lose a kingdom <laughs> yeah and it's interesting because he the king himself is the one that actually asks for advice uh, right in verse 13 it says then the king said to the wise men who knew the times and then for fast forward to verse 15 according to the law what is to be done to queen vashti because she has not performed the command of king ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs right so that's that's the king asking this question like what are we going to do with her um and it's interesting that they go on to say that the, uh, she didn't now, I'm not sure if there was a law against this, but we don't see them saying that she broke a specific law. But of course, if you disobey the command of a king, mm -hmm. that's equivalent to breaking law. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's a specific, there has to be a specific law. Just the fact that you said no to him is. This is so, this is a big deal for them <laughs> right now. I mean, he, he's taking time out of out of all of this to to speak in front of these people and you could be thinking to yourself, well, there's, there's got to be way more issues going on in at this present time. You know, they could be talking about different wars, different things they want to be doing, expansions, who knows what. There shouldn't and, be any issues. They're supposed to still be partying. That's true. That's true. But at the same time, um, real life exists for every single person. And I think I, I'm my point being is they could have been talking about many other things, but this was of importance, clearly. Um, and we see that uh, things start getting interesting uh, around verses 13 through 17 is when this dethroning idea starts taking place. And uh, Serge already read 13, so I just want to touch on 14 or verse 15. It says, What shall we do with the Queen Vashti according to law? Because she did not obey the command of the king Ahasuerus brought to her by the eunuchs. And Memukan answered before the king and the princes, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also the princes and all the people who were under all the providences of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Ahasuerus commanded the Queen Vashti to be brought before him 
but she did not come. So really, what is their issue with this whole thing? And I think you guys kind of mentioned it. It's more of obedience, right? It's like the... It's more about setting an example, seems like. It seems like the king was really focused on that one intricate moment, Mm -hmm. but these eunuchs and these um, people that were close to him were able to see the bigger picture, right? They were able to see how this is going to influence the whole kingdom, not just the relationship between Vashti and the king, but this is going to pour out outside to all the provinces and it's going to establish a very... Um, not unfortunate, a content, what they say, right? Uh, that there's going to be uh, wrath, there's going to be contempt between the husbands and the wives are supposedly, this is going to uh, give way to wives to say no to their husbands because Queen Vashti can do it. Why can't we do it, right? So it's, it's more about influence than the actual thing between the queen and the king here. Yeah, which is, which is interesting in itself because... To them, it made sense um, because looking from their perspective, she is a queen, so definitely looked upon by other women. She's known. It's not like she's just nobody or a random lady that the king wanted to show, right? So so in their eyes, although they obviously are thinking of you know, their power themselves and the king and his power, and yes, this is all focused, but in their eyes, this makes sense to them. And um, I would say that in this position, in this, in this instant going on, um, obviously what Mimikin said made a, a lot of sense to everybody right away. Like it, it, they, it doesn't even seem like anybody has doubt against what he's saying at all, which is, is just really interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, coming from a Christian perspective, was it the wisest of words? No, mm-hmm. right? It was very ungracious, very unloving to just put her out like that. But again, they're not Christians. They're not exactly. Jewish. They are a pagan nation. Um, and, and so that's for them, of, it makes sense. Yeah, and that's kind of that's kind of my point too. Is when you're reading certain scripture, you have to try to put yourself in that time or in in pretend that you're just you're also a character in that room in that kingdom going on, and you're kind of observing this, right? You need to put yourself in the shoes because that's how you ultimately try to understand why people did what they did, um, and. Although it is a little bit obvious, but at the same time, if you think more about it, it, you can start to see why this made sense to them. Jacob, you've been quiet. Yeah, I saw, I saw your iPad. He forgot. He, I saw you had a bunch of notes there, man. I'm just, we, I'm we, taking didn't tell in, you, we didn't tell you this before, but on here, don't wait for someone to give you a chance to speak. We you won't. just budge in. <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are on point though, man. Yeah, I don't want to repeat the same things. I agree too, man. You're looking at a queen who people are looking up to and they see her authority and her power. And if she's going to be the one to say no to the king, then again, who else, you know, anybody else can do that as well. It's kind of free reign. And so I think there's just this, you know, utter embarrassment and rejection um, of Queen Vashti to the king. And they're just worried about this. And so you guys are, you guys are killing it. So I'm just, I'm I'm listening in and, but yeah. Okay. You got to throw us a bone here. Give us like a a left fielder or give us like a (laughs) A devil's advocate here or something. (laughs) I don't know if I have one yet, man. I know, I know a little bit further down I might possibly, but we don't have much further on. To touch on 18 again. um, I think we, we, we didn't really mention this yet, but um, also the second part of what he says, uh, this very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Medea will say to all the King's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. Um, Gossip. That's all I heard. 
<laughs> I mean, not that it's fake, but it's just, you know, like people, it's unfortunate that people don't know when to keep their mouth shut. Honestly, you know, like even the bad things, like you don't always need to share everyone's mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that, I mean, yes, they have legitimate, um, real fear of this bad influence pouring out. But at the same time, it kind of gives me this knowledge of the fact that people talk all the time. Back then, yesterday, today, tomorrow, people talk, unfortunately, even about the bad stuff, not just the good stuff. Uh, moving into 19. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff just in this verse alone of how everything folds out. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and Medes so that it will not be altered, that Vashti shall not come no more, shall come no more before the king Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So this, isn't, this wasn't just something they wanted to do once. They wanted to put this into law. And when you think of this perspective, you you think that this is going to be future related. So um, it's something that's going to be done, altered, and or made now that it can't be altered in the future. So that's interesting. That's what I kind of wanted to bring up and ask you guys. What's the point of that? Of what, the law? Because if, if, if this goes past Vashti, right, she's, she's ultimately gone off, dethroned, what what's the point of this law being in existence for the rest of time? I think it's to protect their power, obviously, but also their power to do whatever they want and even abuse power. Because mm -hmm. even in this case, Queen Vashti, she's, again, from what we, we can't necessarily know for sure, but there is a strong possibility that she was, you know, told to come show her beauty in a way that would be probably not appropriate. Mm -hmm. And she disobeys. Obviously, there's a bunch of anger and upset uh, people about that, especially the king. And so this law, I mean, they set a law in place. That's pretty, pretty serious. And I think it communicates to protect their power, but in a sad way, it's protect their power for wrong use and absolute power to then control even um, women like that to make them do whatever they want for their gain or for whatever they think is right. And I think to really just you know, protect themselves. Yeah, but the it seems like this order that he puts out, this royal order, is specifically for Vashti, not for future queens, but specifically for Vashti, because he says that let it be written among the laws uh, that Vashti is never again to come before the king Ahasuerus. So that even if there is forgiveness or he decides to take her back by law, he can't. She can never be a queen again, which we'll read further on in the story where once the king puts something into law, into order, there's no mm -hmm. take backs. And I think that's a means just to really maybe even scare people and be like, we're taking this serious. Queen Vashti is not allowed in my yeah. presence ever again. Therefore, <laughs> this should, you know, be careful. Yeah, it's it's a learning moment for future queens, right? Or for princes to know that this, but again, this kind of also pushes the other law that we read towards the bottom about that every man be a master of his own household. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and to back up what, exactly what you guys just said, verse 20, when the king's decree, which he will make, is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. And so I think their driving force was, just like you guys said, um, they wanted that honor from their wives. But it's still interesting of how she plays, in, she plays the role of 
the one getting punished essentially for mm-hmm. you see how she got punished so you shall obey your husband and it's like that's what i'm saying even though this is going to be law um it's weird because people will look back and they'll always remember her name to this it seems like in their history of the culture at least which is kind of uh, also you know that that's not really good for her <laughs> yeah like her reputation yeah <laughs> like she's done <laughs> um but for them like this was a big this was a big deal for them and they wanted this to be law and it just i don't know it's kind of crazy how everything's happening yeah and it's interesting that really the only parallel um that we see with this story up to this point um and really like uh, a biblical truth is the fact that uh let every man be master of his own household and this goes back to where we see the letters of Paul and Peter um, mm-hmm. talking about where the husband is the head of the family, right? That he is the ultimate authority. Obviously, from, we're, we're talking like a good household right now, not one with necessarily <laughs> problems or anything, but per scripture, the husband is the authority and his authority is Christ himself. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see that even as pagan as they were, um, there's some parallels with them that we can... Do you think we can draw that parallel, though? Do you think, like, maybe they, this, this is used in saying, a bad way, though? I'm not saying that they saw it that way. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm yeah, just yeah. saying, like, us knowing the Bible, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can draw that parallel. I'm not saying that, that's, that they're doing it because mm-hmm. of that. They're obviously doing it because, you know, their machismo is really big. But it's it's just an interesting point that can you imagine the feminist movement back then well this 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 basically was this is what they were trying to to axe i was listening i was listening to yes serge this will have to do something with what we're talking about a little bit (laughs) (laughs) i was listening to this thing about just the feminist movement in general and (laughs) it it really makes no sense in today's day especially in this country of how strong the movement is compared to what it's what it's going against is there's really there's really no purpose to it right now. Now, when we go back into history, um, it is important to note there was sometimes an important time for you know for the women's right to vote back early then. But here, it looks like if they did, if, if women did, you know, in a way have a movement, I think in Persia at this time it would be very uh, it, it would have a point. Yeah, but. Very interesting to note, sir. <laughs> um, you, you, I just wanted to touch again on what you said. Um, I think ha, they they know that their morality is there in a way. Mm-hmm. The structure is there, and I think even even looking back at this, do you think maybe because it's closer, this this Persian Empire is so close to other cultures? Do you think they're getting it from that, or do you think it's just in human nature that this way of thinking comes about? Um. I want to say it's 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 impl- it's implanted in us by God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up to it's our responsibility to reveal that or you know to uphold to that. But um, obviously, not everyone does it in a God fearing way because mm-hmm. not everyone knows God. But there's some some aspects of humanity that God instilled in us to do things a certain way. And and this gets to the point where I think us as humans we we have this natural order because God. We believe that God put forth this natural order, mm. but these guys are coming from a more of a scare and threatening 
Iron rod. Yeah. yeah. Ruling of the iron rod. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that this definitely is more of a forceful rather than of an agreement of both yeah. parties. Do you, reading this story up to this point, do you see the hand of God in anything so far? It's it's hard to say sorry, without I st- getting it. I stole it. your thunder, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let it's, me take that back, Mark. You want to ask that application question? No, I was, I was going to ask that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should just leave. <laughs> um, but, but going to what you said, it's going to be hard to answer this without going further into the book. Um, but I was going to say absolutely, because yeah. although the negative thing of Queen Vashti being, you know, sent away and kicked out, this is already the providence of God opening up the way for Esther to come on in and, yeah. you know, later on. And this is the beginnings of all this stuff. And so, like we mentioned in the beginning, although God's never mentioned by name, we see his workings all throughout, even in, I think, chapter one. This is one of the, like, this is one of the struggles of the Old Testament in general, that since it is so narrative based for the most part, a lot of times it takes a little while for the story to get going. So sometimes you're just reading stuff and you're like, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> and and those lessons are there. And and as we all know, like the Old Testament is filled with, with imagery of Christ and of what's gonna happen. But sometimes it's hard because when you read a chapter like this, you're like, what? Is- what is going on? Like none of these people are Christian. Like what is happening here? You don't fully understand the picture, but what we do know is that this is now setting up chapter two where Esther comes into the picture. We're kind of, it's almost like the author was trying to write a good book. And so what he did with chapter one is he introduced us to the setting. He, he introduced us to the main cast. He showed us what's going on at the time, kind of the historical aspects. Okay. You read chapter one, you kind of know what's going on, what's happening, who, who everyone is. Chapter two, main character enters, now you kind of know what's happening. And that's where the lessons come too, because again, like like I was saying, with the, old, with the Old Testament, sometimes it's hard to read a chapter and you're just like, man, that was my scripture for the day, but I kind of feel like there wasn't maybe a lesson. Whereas like the New Testament, like we learned going through Ephesians, it's like every single verse is something that you can just contemplate upon all day. Hmm. You know, you could do a whole hour episode on one verse and we we've done that wasting our time on one no, verse. It's not, not wasting time, time but sometimes we talk too much. We all agree on that. <laughs> That's like me and my daily reading right now. I'm in the Old Testament and I was reading in Nahum and Habakkuk. And a lot of these Old Testament prophets and stuff, you see a, obviously a lot of the time, it's just God condemning Israel for their sinful behavior and what's going to happen. But also you see the redemptive things happening behind the scenes where God's promising to preserve them. And that, that can be difficult too, but I think even in that you can see, you know, God is providential in what he's doing and that he's a holy God and it shows our seriousness of sin. So even in the Old Testament, I mean, there's so many beautiful things to see mm-hmm. there and it, there's truths for us to take from it. It's to, to wrap your head around this, no sinner can think that he's not taking part in what's God got going on. Like uh, what else other way is there to say it? So even if you think, even if you think you don't believe in God and you're, you're a sinner, not if you think, but if you are, um, you're still ultimately going through a plan, uh, a pre- predestined plan by God. And so you might be, um, you might be a, a sinner and you, you don't want to believe in God, but God is doing things. And so you're doing things according to everything that needs to happen. It's like a really, really kind of a difficult way to explain. 
Um, I don't know if you guys get where I'm going at. So these people are living living their lives and, and doing things that are benefiting them, their kingdom, and they're partying and celebrating. Sorry, uh, feasting and <laughs> celebrating. Um, there's no intention on God with any of these people. Yet God is providentially working. You guys mentioned this many times already, but it, God's in the background. And um, we have to be careful. We're, I'm not saying that God is letting or making these people sin in any way. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is by a person's will to sin um, and the things they do, God doesn't lose. His plan only continues. And it wasn't so much as to just put Esther as the queen. It wasn't just so much Spoilers, that. dude. We have a right. <laughs> Wait. What if I didn't Esther? know that? The, ul the <laughs> ultimate plan is redemption. That is the ultimate plan, right? Is to show God's redemption. And again, if we're reading this like a story, right now we're kind of at a bleak point. Like right now it's 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 part one. And it, this is where like- It's gonna get good. The villain is winning. Everyone's kind of like the good guys are losing. And you're like, man- There's what? no good guys yet. What are you How talking about? <laughs> that's, what I, that's, what, that's even there's worse. Just, there's just villains. <laughs> there's just badness everywhere. <laughs> so, and, and you're reading this and you're like, man, what's gonna happen? But that's why that's why we need to keep reading. That's why um, I'm excited for episode Follow two next week. Trail. Hmm? Follow the crumb trail. Follow the crumb trail. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Closing thoughts. Jacob, do you have anything to add? Man. God's providence in working in messy situations with messy people that mm -hmm. are sinful. Mm -hmm. Again, like this is pagan people, this is not a whatever God's chosen people, but he's still working in the midst of this. And you see his providential plan beginning to unfold, even in these messy situations where it's very, uh, very difficult, very bleak, like you mentioned here in chapter one. So I'm just seeing and already thinking about the providence of God throughout this story and how we see him clearly, even if his name is not mentioned mm -hmm. directly here. And that's, that's where the application side comes in that you might not be able to understand what is really going on here. I don't think any of us do because none of us remotely know what in the world is like this life that they are living here. We are far from it, but you do understand conflict between people. You know, we understand like for a, a, a woman listening to this, maybe she feels some of that discomfort, like could, imagining what it would be like to be in that that uncomfortable situation, you know, for we can still feel and understand to a certain extent, what it means to be in a bad situation, to be in a bad place. The world around us, like I was saying earlier, is not exactly rainbows and sunshine right now. It's it's a bleak world out there. And in these dark situations, in these examples that we read in the Old Testament, that's when you can see God. And when you read a story like this and you see how hopeless this looks, and then you see God's redemption, it just, it gives you hope. It makes you realize, look, I can get through whatever I'm going through as dark as the world might be around us. I know God is here. Like Alex was saying, whether you believe him or not, he's, he's working. His plan is moving forward with or without us. Can't escape. We're it. just lucky that we know that he's, he's in charge yep. and we can find peace and comfort in that. Amen. 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 <laughs> Jacob, would you like to pray? I would love to. God, thank you so much for your word that we get to open up together. And thank you for this book of Esther that, again, as we've already mentioned, although your name is not mentioned directly, God, we know that you were working all throughout this situation, all throughout this story, a real event that took place, God. And uh, thank you for all that um, we've read tonight so far. We see your providential hand through all that was taking place in this story, God. May we um, read these scriptures and not just think of them as a fairy tale, but as a true story that happened. And may we apply um, faith in you and seeing your providential hand work in our lives and all that you do in our lives. We love you so much. And we just let me pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for joining us today. We hope God was able to reach your heart so now you can go and share it with others. Feel free to leave any questions, prayer requests, or blessings. Join us on Instagram and share our podcast to others. And remember, always keep your heart in Scripture.